Section 24 of Charles II by Osmondary. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 4 Charles, Louis, and Parliament. Part 3. In spite of his incontestable usefulness and of the social qualities which we have enumerated, it nevertheless astonishes us that the king should have permitted Lauderdale such prolonged intimacy. Charles liked polite manners in society. He wrote, in quite a pained way to his sister, on the want of good breeding in England. Now there is incontestable evidence that Lauderdale picked his ears in the presence chamber and performed other personal duties of the dressing-room with unnecessary publicity. Thomas Bruce, afterwards second Earl of Aylesbury, who, as a gentleman of the bedchamber, had excellent opportunities for observation, declares indeed that the king grew quite weary of him, and that he owed his being kept in for some years by reason that the king would not have laws prescribed to him by the House of Commons. Bruce describes him to have been of a most extraordinary learning and great memory, as disagreeable in his conversation as was his person. His head was towards that of a Saracen fiery face, and his tongue too big for his mouth, and his pronunciation high scotch, no highlander like him, uttering bald jests for wit, and repeating good ones from others, and ever spoiled them in relating them, which delighted the good king much. Then follows an amusing illustration of Charles's methods. Besides tiring the king with his bald jests, he was continually putting his fingers into the king's snuff-box, which obliged him to order one to be made which he wore with a string on his wrist, and did not open, but the snuff came out by shaking. Bruce finally describes a scene which is truly surprising in the coarseness of its humour. Lauderdale, by way of emphasising his intimacy with Charles, was in the habit of intruding himself, uninvited, at all parties at which the king was present, and it became necessary to devise a cure. Accordingly, a courtier desired of the king to do him the honour of dining with him, which he accepted, but, said he, we shall be pestered with such an one, meaning Lauderdale. Whereupon that person, the inventor of the scheme, ordered a double syllabub glass, and it was concerted that the king, after having drunk plentifully, should ask the master of the house for a syllabub to refresh him, and by a token the king knew which of the two to take, and commending it greatly the Duke of Lauderdale, he having a great share of confidence, very natural to one of his country, and drinking the other half which was prepared with unmentionable filth, swore that no person had such a taste as his majesty. In some little time it worked, as it was natural, and the king, perceiving it, cried out, My lord Lauderdale is sick, and they carried him away, and the king was never troubled more with him on such diverting occasions. Such were the men through whom, with Louise de Querouaille, Charles ruled his dominions. The first work before the cabal was to find money, in August 1671, the king's debts were over three millions. A state of things so desperate, with an expensive war in prospect, suggested desperate remedies. 
all evidence points to clifford as the author of the masterful scheme of finance whereby to the permanent ruin of the royal credit and widespread commercial distress charles laid violent hands upon a sum of one million four hundred thousand pounds for carrying through the stop of the exchequer clifford was rewarded with a peerage and the lord treasurer's staff ashley has the credit of the second important measure the fresh attempt which the king now made to secure the dispensing power in the hope that at the close of a successful war he should be in a position to dictate terms to parliament on march fifteenth sixteen seventy two charles published his declaration of indulgence as well for the quieting of our good subjects as for inviting strangers in this conjuncture to come and live under us and for a better encouragement of all to a cheerful following of their trades and callings he claimed the supreme power in ecclesiastical matters which is inherent in us and announced the suspension of all manner of penal laws in matters ecclesiastical against whatsoever sort of nonconformists or recusants there was no mistake this time about the challenge to his people it was taken up in the first instance by one of the king's own ministers orlando bridgman keeper of the seals bridgman had already raised difficulties regarding the stop of the exchequer he now absolutely refused to put the great seal to the declaration independence of this kind did not fit in with the king's theory of ministerial duty bridgman was removed and ashley as earl of shaftesbury was made lord chancellor two days after the issue of the declaration war was declared against the dutch as early as the spring of sixteen sixty eight de witt had received mysterious warnings of the danger which threatened the republic for a long time he could not believe that his work would so soon perish although louis concealed his intentions under the thinnest of disguises in the spring of sixteen seventy two however it was clear that the blow was about to fall and that the dutch were almost defenceless against the superb army of one hundred and seventy five thousand men and the fleet of one hundred and twenty ships mounted with five thousand guns which louis had collected they had through the weakness of their decentralized system but fifty thousand men in the field their fortresses were in decay their commissariat disorganized their magazines almost empty if any doubts remained as to what the french preparations meant they must have been dispelled when in retort to the medal which had so aroused his anger louis caused another to be struck in which the sun was portrayed dispersing the fogs from a marsh and bearing as its motto in allusion to the fact that the republic had been created through french assistance the words Awexi sed discutiam the awakening to the treachery of charles had been still more painful temple had done his best to sustain the alliance which his master had resolved to betray as late as september sixteen seventy he was vouching for the king's sincerity while charles was privately repudiating his action to louis but his uneasiness appears as early as october sixteen sixty eight if only we were what we have been what we might be and god knows why we are not at home 
his suspicions gained ground when he was ordered to magnify every trifling difference into a subject of acrimonious dispute still more when henrietta of orleans went to dover and when after her death buckingham was sent to paris not de wit bitterly surmised merely to learn the language and most of all when he himself was suddenly recalled to england in july sixteen seventy he found his reception by the king and his ministers very different from that which had awaited him when he returned with the triple alliance arlington who had hitherto greeted him with open arms kept him waiting an hour and a half for an audience and then talked of indifferent matters charles asked him half a dozen questions about his journey and the prince of orange and walked on it was the passionate clifford who made matters plain when after a heated conversation temple asked what he could have done more clifford retorted in a great rage that he would tell me what a man might do more which was to let the king and all the world know how basely and unworthily the states had used him and to declare publicly how their ministers were a company of rogues and rascals and not fit for his majesty or any other prince to have anything to do with an opportunity was afforded by temple's recall for a wanton insult to the dutch the captain of the yacht sent to bring back lady temple was ordered by charles to sail through their fleet in the channel to insist upon their lowering their flags and in case of refusal to take such action as would compel them to fire upon him and thus appear the aggressors the scheme was however frustrated by the self-restraint of the dutch admiral van ghent with charles as with louis de witt had tried every means of conciliation hearing that the king was deeply irritated at the pamphlets medals and pictures which glorified the chatham achievement and especially because the captured royal charles was made a common show he had the moulds of the medals broken the pamphlets suppressed the royal arms removed from the vessel and her name altered these concessions were viewed merely as signs of weakness in december sixteen seventy one sir george downing was sent in temple's place as bon acteur et propre à faire querelle in the most offensive terms he demanded reparation for the insults of which charles complained and specifically insisted upon the acknowledgment of the maritime supremacy of england over all seas going so far as to require that whole fleets should lower their flags to a single english warship even to this insolence de witt was willing to give way provided that england would engage to assist the republic against france as late as march third sixteen seventy two he endeavoured to conjure away the danger by the offer of a large personal bribe to charles charles had endeavoured to appear as the attacked party when he found the attempt useless he began hostilities by an act which louis himself contemptuously characterised as sheer piracy the dutch merchant fleet from smyrna was lying at anchor off the isle of wight and admiral holmes was ordered to attack without warning and to capture the convoy but the dutch were prepared and the fleet escaped with the loss of only two ships war was declared by england four days later there is nothing antecedently improbable in marvel's statement that the council clock was purposely set forward on that day 
lest the compliance of the dutch before the appointed hour should prevent the declaration of war of the treachery displayed in the inception of this war a war of pure selfishness on charles's part a work of darkness conceived and carried out in face of his people's wishes and against their interests enough has been said it was a great crime and with the exception of his treatment of the popish terror it was the most discreditable political act of his reign the events of the struggle the desperate appeal to nature whereby de witt and the men of holland baffled louis in the very flush of conquest the valour with which under the eye of the indomitable de ruyter they four times drove back the attacks of fleets manned by seamen as valiant as themselves and led by rupert the murder of the de Witts, who were sacrificed to the need of concentrating power in the hands of one strong man the tenacity of purpose with which william of orange in whom that power was vested kept two mighty monarchs at arm's length and inspired the states to refuse the dishonouring conditions of louis and to disregard the arrogant demands and menaces of charles all this we must thus briefly pass over to the disgrace of the war had been added the humiliation of defeat in not one battle had the english fleet been victorious nor had a single soldier of the forces so industriously collected been landed upon the dutch coasts charles was forced to bring the barren and inglorious struggle to an end he was once more in need which louis could only partially satisfy a very bitter feeling had grown up between the crews of his vessels and the french who were charged with intentional failure to support their allies and who must either excuse their cowardice by their treachery or their treachery by their cowardice the sailors were utterly weary of the war and the regiments at blackheath were showing a mutinous spirit moreover charles had not anticipated that a war begun against de witt would resolve itself into one against his own nephew under the stress of these considerations and of circumstances still to be related he yielded to the conditions imposed upon him by parliament and in the teeth of his engagements with louis made peace on fairly favourable terms with the dutch even this could not be done in the light of day temple services were again called in he was sent to holland in haste and a peace was huddled up without the participation of the mediators without the knowledge even of charles's own plenipotentiaries at the conference of cologne end of section twenty four